Now it's time for the Disney View podcast. Please move across your car to make room for everyone. Our podcast will begin momentarily. Join Dave as he makes his grand circle tour around the Walt Disney World Resort. Dave is a dreamer and an engineer who enjoys the magic and wonder of it all, but understands Disney's place in history and respects the legacy that's been left. Come along and hear Dave's thoughts about Walt Disney World and see it through Dave's eyes. Please stand clear of the podcaster. Por favor, mantenganse alejado del David. And now, here's your host. Hey everyone, it's Dave. Welcome to another edition of Dave's Disney View Podcast. Well, as I've mentioned in previous podcasts, the idea for World Showcase was basically to build a kind of permanent World's Fair. To have countries represented through their people, culture, and some of their representative structures. Back when Disney first introduced Epcot to us through an ABC TV special, Danny Kaye told us more about it, and here's Danny Kaye's take on it. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome, welcome to a party. In spite of the weather, we want to welcome you. It's not really a party, it's more a celebration, a dedication, a, a festival, an event, also a monumental achievement all rolled into one. And it's also a party. <laughs> I'm Danny Kaye. And I'm speaking to you live and wet from Epcot Center. This is the realization of Walt Disney's dream to create a permanent showcase of technology and world culture. It's a living monument to past achievements and a testament to the hopes of the future. A future where the quality of life for all people will be improved. It's with this spirit in mind that I'd like you all to share with me the wonder and the excitement of this truly remarkable place. Why don't you come with me as we look forward to the dawning of the 21st century. I feel a little bit like Columbus felt when he started on his journey into the new world. Because on the other side of this man-made lagoon is a brand new man-made world. And in that world, there are nine countries that are thousands of miles apart geographically. And they're joined together in a one-mile area to display their culture, their art, and their historical achievements. Now, as I've told you before, back in 1978, the International Chamber of Commerce held its 26th conference at the con and convention at the Walt Disney World Resort, with Jimmy Carter giving the opening remarks. Right afterward, Card Walker and a team pitched the idea for Epcot to the assembled crowd, which included representatives from many countries around the world. The hope was to build momentum for Epcot and to try and get the countries to help with introductions among potential sponsors. As I told you in the Presidents at Disney Park podcast, Carter was so fascinated by the idea that he blew off some meetings later in the day to hear the pitch and ask his own questions. And it worked fairly well with the countries as well. Ultimately, nine pavilions were designed for opening day based on the initial pitch that was given. Now others showed interest as well, but deals fell apart quickly or never fully materialized. And so this World's Fair was built within the constraints of both time and money. The remaining parts, missing attractions and shows, as well as some deals still in the work pavilions, would be moved to Epcot Center Phase 2, 
which Disney hoped to open in 1983. And in some ways it did, with Horizons opening one year after the initial opening and a couple of things starting to find their way to fruition shortly after. But World Showcase never really did. And we're still holding our breath, waiting for that to happen. So what follows in today's podcast is a look at what might have been in that first couple of years after park opening. Now certainly Disney had planned for expansion. There was ample room for growth in the location that they selected. There were actually 21 sites plotted for World Showcase Nations on the original model. And there was even a plan to potentially add as many as another 21 on an outer ring behind the ones that face the lagoon. Essentially meaning that they could direct guests through pathways to the pavilions behind the ones that are visible from the promenade. There was so much ambition, so many ideas, but costs became an enormous headache and almost drove Disney to be sold off. But that's a story for another day. In short, the only way pavilions might get built is if sponsors entirely footed the bill or if the country themselves would, would pay for it to happen. Over the next five years or so, pavilions were tantalizingly close to coming to fruition. You'd hear that something was probably coming, or in a few cases, signage appeared to tell us something was coming, only to find out later that the deal fell through. As we know, two pavilions were added after opening day, and we'll talk about them in coming podcasts. For now, let's focus on this time period between when Epcot originally opened and when those pavilions actually came and talk about what almost was. Heading into 1982, there were nine pavilions nearing completion, and 12 more could easily be added. The amazing part was that there were three specific plans to build pavilions, and the deals were in the works. There'll be some new fellowship students arriving in the years to come as new World Showcase pavilions from other countries such as Israel, Morocco, Spain, join this entire family. First up was Equatorial Africa. This was probably the pavilion that was the farthest along in development. There was a scale model built, and artist renderings of the attractions had been made. And with the fairly recent TV miniseries Roots, there was a burgeoning interest for details about Africa. And yes, it's a continent, not a country, but the idea was to present a view into several African countries as a way to see the continent. Disney published materials that read Equatorial Africa. The Equatorial Africa Pavilion takes you on a safari through a world of natural beauty and adventure. You'll view the drama of wild animals from the safety of a giant calcedra tree. You'll feel the electrifying energy of the heartbeat of Africa show and sway to the jungle beat of music and dance. Alex Haley, noted author of Roots, is your host for Africa Rediscovered, an adventure uncovering Africa's ancient cultural heritage. Alex Haley, I presume? You presume correctly. Welcome to Equatorial Africa. Well, thank you very much. Uh, am I too early? About a year, but it's always nice to see you. <laughs> I know you've been a consultant to uh, World Showcase since the beginning, so you must have a pretty good notion of what we will all expect to see when the African Pavilion opens. Well, for one thing, we plan to show the beauty, the drama, the energy, the diversity of this amazing continent. Well, who should know better about that than the author of Roots, huh? If I remember correctly, Alex, Walt Disney was the one who said, I would rather entertain people and hope that they learn something from it. And I think you agree with that. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, that's the theory behind all these other provisions that are soon to open. Sir, it was an honor, and I am very, very proud to have talked with you. And I will be seeing you soon, I think. I can find my way out myself. You think you won't need a guide? Uh, not this time. Maybe next time. We'll see you in about a year. 
The details were really intriguing. It would have boasted an enormous 60-foot treehouse, which guests could climb into and look down on the animals below. And then thanks to wizardry by Imagineers, a real-life movie filmed by cinematographer Jack Koffer would have allowed guests to overlook a waterhole at dusk with animals of the jungle coming to bathe or drink. The animals would be created with rear projection film. It would have been a multi-sensory experience as it would have included 70mm live-action movies projected onto a 20-foot screen and would also include wind and heat effects as well as scents using that Smellitzer technology. And there would have been enhanced sounds to create the perfect illusion that guests were actually in Africa watching real wild animals. Very clever for the you know late 1970s, that's an amazing thing that they had in mind. It really took everything that you've thought of as being unique and distinct about Disney and put it all together in one place where Africa would have been something cool and really something to behold. The second part of the pavilion would have been something called Room with Drums. Imagineers had designed drums that would magically play themselves and with each rhythmic beat, light would emanate from the instrument. It would get to the point when the rhythms would become more complex and more instruments would join with the sophisticated melodies, causing the room to be filled with colors, patterns, and music. There was also a live show featuring African musicians and dancers that would be hosted in an outdoor amphitheater, while the heartbeat of Africa would offer insights into the continent's culture. There would be a second show hosted by author Alex Haley, and this pre-show would represent Africa's natural wonders, the flora, fauna, and climate. The main feature would have been called Africa Rediscovered. Guests would have also had the opportunity to explore the Sound Safari Trail with a new 3D sound technology and would have, that would have created sound illusions. As guests walked through the path, an infrared sensor would trigger the sound of the trumpeting elephants, giraffes, roaring lions, laughing hyenas, and grunting hippos. If you had the good fortune of going into the Imagination Pavilion, from 1982 until about 1989 or so, you could have seen something similar in the way that they set up the pavilion upstairs. You'd walk through and there was these multi-sensory experiences where things would happen based on you walking through. Similar kind of thing they had in mind here. In 1979, Walt Disney Productions officials received a letter of intent from Kenyan officials. It said that Kenya, along with the nations of Senegal and the Ivory Coast, had agreed in principle to sponsor World Showcase's Africa Pavilion. But then, this trio of African countries began squabbling about which nation would receive top billing on the entrance to the soon-to-be Epcot Showcase. And the sponsorship deal quickly fell apart as the country squabbled. But in many ways, many of the illusions and ideas did make their way into other attractions around Disney World. Think about Africa and the animal kingdom, and some of this is there. Plus, rear projection and enhanced sound technology was used in various ways throughout the resort. And the Smellitzer, of course, is still used in the Soren attraction. Next up was Israel. Coming soon to World Showcase, Israel. The menorah, symbol of the state of Israel, stands at a courtyard center surrounded by buildings reflecting the rich balance of new and old. Walk through the ancient Jerusalem to an amphitheater and hear performances of both classical and folk music. Sample native dishes under the shade of an olive and cypress tree in the Israel Pavilion. Israel was intended to be one of the original tenants of World Showcase. The ruins of an ancient minaret would have served as an information center at the entrance, with a central courtyard featuring a cluster of market-style shops. Old meets new in the land of the Bible, according to the promotional in-park billboards. In November 1980, the State of Israel actually signed a deal to officially become part of Epcot. Joseph Wolf, Special Officer of the Minister of Finance and President of the Tourist Industry Development Corporation, signed an agreement that called for this Middle Eastern country to underwrite the design and construction of the World Showcase Pavilion 
that was estimated to cost between 30 and $35 million. What's more, Deshaja Weinberg, the director of the Jewish Museum in Tel Aviv, agreed to provide Disney with a wide variety of archaeological artifacts, which could then be put on display on a rotating basis in a gallery that was to have been part of Epcot's Israel Pavilion. There were signs in place on Epcot's opening day trumpeting the Israel Pavilion. It was coming soon, but by October 1984, there was no sign of this previously announced World Showcase attraction. Around that time, the Orlando Sentinel interviewed Disney's Steve Baker, who held the title of Director of Participant Affairs for the Walt Disney World Resort. And he told them that the Walt Disney Company had made much progress towards an Israel pavilion, getting the Israeli government to contribute design money and enlisting its help in putting together private sector funds. But all this has taken five years, and we expect lots of changes to occur before the Israel pavilion takes shape. Now, you could argue that it's still on the drawing board and will probably always be. There's, there was never much of an explanation given, but one rumor suggests that some senior Disney company officials believe that including Israel as part of Epcot might cause other issues. To wit, there was a fear that Epcot, all about community and harmony, might become the target for protests or worse, potentially terrorism. The concept isn't so far-fetched. In 1999, the Arab League pushed for a boycott of the Millennium Village at Epcot due to the inclusion of an Israel pavilion as part of the 15-month-long celebration. And then third was Spain. Here's what Disney had to say about Spain. Spain. Take a spectacular journey through Spain by film to little-known and out-of-the-way vacation Edens. A ride attraction captures the country's passionate heritage and spirit in her arts. In a waterside restaurant, indulge in tapas, or Spanish-style finger foods, a blend of varied ingredients but suitable to simple tastes, and browse the marketplaces of striking contrast from Pueblo Village to aristocratic opulence. Phase two of World Showcase was to include a Spanish pavilion boasting two attractions. The first would have been a movie showing landmarks in the country, while the second was a dark ride showing off the country's culture. The main restaurant would have served tapas. Spain has joined the growing list of countries in the Community of Nations of Epcot Center, Disney published a statement that read, with the signing of a contract for the design of a Spain pavilion for Phase 2 of World Showcase. D. Orleo Torrente La Rosa, director of ECCE, the Exposiciones, Congresos y Convenciones España, on behalf of the Ministry of Transportation, Tourism and Communications for Spain, and Dick Nunes, president of Walt Disney World Company, signed the preliminary design agreement. Nunes also met with King Juan Carlos and Queen Doña Sofia at the Royal Palace to discuss the scope of the Epcot Center project and Spain's participation. Again, Steve Baker told the Orlando Sentinel in 1984, efforts to sign on Spain has been tougher. When Baker went to Spain for the first time in 1981, he succeeded in getting the government to pay for the design on that country's pavilion. He declined to reveal the design costs of an individual pavilion, but he said on average it cost about $500,000. But a new, young government took over in Spain, and when we came back to talk, we realized we had no friends. So consequently, we had to start over. So it's interesting how Disney had three pavilions lined up and all of them kind of fell apart for various reasons. But the list doesn't end there, it goes on and on. Over time, rumors circulated, deals were made and abruptly ended, marketing materials were printed. There were probably 20 or more countries that were considered and courted, and here's at least a partial list of that group in chronological order. There are more, but many of them didn't get far enough along to really be remembered. Costa Rica. One early plan for the World Showcase circa 1978 included a pavilion dedicated to Costa Rica, boasting Spanish colonial architecture. 
The main attraction would have been a crystal palace hosting tropical gardens, birds, and waterfalls. Food would have been available from a snack bar serving seafood and melons, and arts and crafts would have been on sale in the retail area. Iran. This pavilion was proposed before Epcot was built and would have featured an elaborate dark ride through Persian history along with a bizarre-style shopping area. The famous landmark Golestan Palace would have also been featured as well. However, when the Shah of Iran was overthrown in 1979, plans were dropped. The United Arab Emirates. A 1978 plan for World Showcase includes a UAE pavilion, which would have seen guests entering past two Arabic Dow ships. Inside, a Bedouin desert encampment would await them. The main attraction would have been a magical carpet ride through the Arab world. And if we're to believe the hype, this would have not been at all like what they had in mind for Aladdin's magic carpets that was built in the Magic Kingdom. But we'll probably never know for sure. Australia. Little is known about the plans for the Australia Pavilion, other than Imagineers hoped that it would have formed part of the original World Showcase lineup. It's believed that the design would have included a recreation of Sydney's iconic opera house. Poland. During discussions about Phase 2, reportedly Poland had expressed an interest in being included. The idea of an Eastern European country being part of World Showcase was intriguing. This one, as far as I know, never got past the initial planning stages. Russia, or more correctly, the Soviet Union. As I talked about when I did the overview of the China Pavilion, Russia was also considered for inclusion. Talks continued, even though there was no plan initially to move forward. Despite the frosty relations between the U.S. and the Soviet Union, plans were drawn up in the late 80s and into the early 90s for a pavilion. The concept artwork shows that it would have been dominated by a recreation of St. Basil's Cathedral. The central attraction would have been Russia, the Bells of Change, a show that would combine audio animatronics, movie footage, and live actors to bring the history of the country to life. It would have also included a scaled model of Red Square, also considered along the way a sled journey through a Russian scenery and a ride-through attraction based on Russia's famous folktale, The Fool and the Fish. Now, The Fool and the Fish is the story about Ivan, a young boy who spares the life of a fish, specifically a pike, and it just so happens that the pike is magical, and in return, Ivan is granted wishes from the pike. Dick Nunes, then chairman of Walt Disney Parks and Resorts, personally met with the Russian delegation in November of 1988 and, after this meeting, sounded very optimistic about the pavilion, eventually being added to Epcot. He said at the time, the timing is very, very good to have negotiations with the Soviet Union. But, unfortunately, as it was with many of these pavilions, nothing ever came of these talks. And ultimately, the collapse of the Soviet Union put an end to the plans for Russia. Venezuela. In 1981, Disney announced that Venezuela had signed on as a fifth South American tenant in World Showcase. Yes, I said fifth. Many countries wanted to be a part of it, but none of them ever came through. They published a press release on November 10th of 1981 that told us the contract was signed and they were ready to start design work. It read, Venezuela has become the fifth South American country to join the community of nations in Walt Disney World's Epcot Center with the signing of a contract for, de for design of a Venezuelan pavilion for Phase 2 of World Showcase. The World Showcase is part of Epcot Center, a showplace for today's nations and tomorrow's technology. Epcot Center will open on October 1st, 1982, and will cost $800 million. Gustavo J. Volmer, chairman of Consorio Inversionista Mercantil y Agricola, or CIMA, in Caracas, and Card Walker, chairman of the board of the chief and chief executive of Walt Disney Productions, 
signed the preliminary participation agreement at Walt Disney World. The Venezuelan Pavilion joins a number of countries and areas of the world scheduled for addition to the eight inaugural World Showcase nations. They include Mexico, China, Germany, Italy, Japan, France, the United Kingdom, and Canada. Venezuela, the State of Israel, and Equatorial Africa are among the Phase II pavilions planned. The main attraction was to have been an aerial tram ride through the tropical rainforest, which sounds suspiciously like what Alex Haley had described for Africa. Perhaps they were going to reuse some of that same technology to give us another view into another country. Switzerland. The Switzerland Pavilion would have been dominated by an East Coast version of Disneyland's Matterhorn bobsleds. Disney started negotiations with Swiss officials in 1986, only to then have these talks broken off in 1987. While these negotiations would eventually resume in 1989, Disney officials were never able to find a Swiss corporation that was willing to underwrite the initial construction costs, as well as supply the funds necessary to operate and maintain an attraction of this size. South America. Sometime around the mid-1980s, there was an idea to build a pavilion devoted to South America. While it would have broadly been about the continent, a la the African Pavilion, it would reuse some of the concepts they had for Venezuela. In this case, they actually had a sponsor signed on to the deal, Escant Corp, out of Argentina, to underwrite the design and construction of the pavilion. But the company had its own money issues due to a money laundering scandal with a partner in Paraguay, and they couldn't proceed. In 1989, it got tied up in litigation with everyone suing everyone, arrests and money laundering plots, and muddled futures for the pavilion. Which, of course, never went anywhere. Denmark. In the mid-1990s, Denmark came oh so close to being signed on as the latest World Showcase pavilion. Inside would have been a recreation of Tivoli Gardens, a Ferris wheel, a carousel, and a Lego-themed canal boat ride. And actually, if you think about it, it did come to fruition in a different way, sort of. Head down to Legoland and you can see something similar to what they had in mind down there. Scandinavia. Disney has chased Denmark several times over the years with an idea of a pavilion. It's also considered an alternative approach bundling several Scandinavian nations together to create a more cost-effective option. In the end, only Norway signed up and has its own dedicated pavilion as a result. Puerto Rico? Even though it isn't technically a country, rumors have circulated several times over the years that the Isle of Enchantment might join the lineup. No one has ever suggested what might have been included other than a tour of Old San Juan. Oddly, Disney did kind of pay homage to some of these countries. From the fall of 1999 until early 2001, the Millennium Celebration that I mentioned earlier took place. In the exhibition space between Canada and the UK, they created the Millennium Village, which served as an exhibition area for countries that were not already in World Showcase. The Millennium Village was a really interesting idea. Disney kind of thought through this concept of having something that was more like what the World's Fair would have been. They created this area in between England and Canada, where they had 60,000 feet of space. And in that space, they set up all of these different countries with a little exhibit. It was like a little room, basically, where they could exhibit their culture and something about themselves that made them stand out and unique. It was a very clever idea that Disney came up with, and it celebrated the millennium and the new century and kind of paid homage to all these different countries. It was a really, really fun thing that Disney did, I have to say. So it opened on October 1st, 1999 and closed on January 1st, 2001. There was a pre-show presentation where someone came out and said, Welcome to the Millennium Village. To help us celebrate this moment in time, we've invited our friends from around the globe to join us. They've come to share with you stories of their accomplishments and dreams, and these are their gifts to the world. Please join them as we begin our celebration. 
So then they would have uh, speakers from Ethiopia, India, Kenya, New Zealand, Indonesia, South Africa, Israel, and Namibia come out and speak. And then beyond there, there was these interactive exhibits, and they were truly interactive, in various rooms that they had set up around the facility. And those included Brazil, Chile, Easter Island, Eritrea, Israel, Saudi Arabia, Scotland, Sweden, and then there was an area called the Village Green, which would talk about harvesting and growth and sort of was, was like a living with the land sort of thing, where they talked about how countries come together to grow and to, to feed their people. There was a food court. There was also some artisans, and they talked in general about world culture. Really interesting idea that they came up with. You can still see that area, and sometimes it's open for various activities, some parties, and sometimes for the Food and Wine Festival. So that area still exists, and you can check it out from time to time. But pavilions weren't the only things that weren't built. In the past, we talked about the Rhine River Cruise in Germany, the Meet the World show in Japan, the Shinkansen, the Godzilla rides, and the gondola rides, as well as a Roman ruins walkthrough in Italy. But there were more, including the Thames River ride, designed as part of the UK pavilion. This full-scale water ride would visit key London landmarks. The plan was to add this feature of part of Phase 2, and the concept art was created in the 1985-1986 time frame. It's too bad that these concepts never saw the light of day, and perhaps none of them ever will. With a projected cost of over $100 million to create a pavilion today, it seems unlikely anyone would ever sponsor that kind of effort. But consider the scale of what they did create. Over 1.5 million feet of film have been used to produce more than four hours of Epcot Center shows. These motion picture films, totaling more than 73,000 feet of finished product, represent the work of 16 production crews in more than 30 countries and nearly every state in the USA. Produced at costs of exceeding $30 million, motion pictures for 31 different shows were filmed in 11 different formats, including 35mm, 65mm, 70mm, 3D, Circle Vision, 360, computer animation, and laser graphics. It's amazing and somewhat mind-boggling. And that's the story of what happened after opening day, leading up to the two additional pavilions, which I'll talk about in coming podcasts. I hope you've enjoyed this look back at what could have been for Epcot in that time between 1982 and when the next pavilion opened in 1984. It's really remarkable what Disney was able to do and what they continued to innovate on. World Showcase was really something amazing. Imagine if they'd have had 42 actual, actual pavilions there. That would have been pretty incredible. Well, that's my podcast for this week. I hope you've enjoyed it. And remember, if we can dream it, we can certainly do it. Bye now. Thank you for tuning in to the Disney View Podcast. We hope you had a pleasant stay and arrive home safely. Please remain seated until your ride vehicle stops completely. Then, gather your personal belongings and step out onto the moving platform. And yes, I know it went by so quickly, but don't worry. One of the nice things about traveling on this podcast is that the journey is just beginning. Show notes are available on DisneyWorldPodcast.net. While there, please check out some of our affiliates. You'll also find links to Dave's iPhone and iPad apps. There's an app for pin trading, one for finding hidden Mickeys, and an app for finding and tracking pressed pennies around the Walt Disney World Resort. And you never know just what Dave is working on next. If you have questions, feel free to drop Dave an email at davesdisneyview at gmail.com. Original music you're hearing in this podcast is Oslo Doom by Gilberto Gil. 
Of course, this is a fan podcast and in no way affiliated with the Walt Disney Company. 